Uh, let me start with a story today. Um, me and Christina were once on a hike in Tennessee. This was, feels like ages ago. Um, because Christina, before we got married, for a summer, she worked at Dollywood, Dolly Parton's theme park. Yes, yeah, she has a theme park. Did you know that? Um, she worked there for a summer. She was doing all sorts of stuff like kettle corn and I don't know, whatever kind of stuff they do at Dollywood, Dolly's theme park. I will say they have amazing bluegrass music. So whatever the weirdness about Dolly Parton's theme park, totally get it. Great music. Anyway, we'll talk about that some other time. Um, on our hike, Dolly was not with us, although Christina did get to meet Dolly. Um, Dolly was not with us. Uh, we, went, we hiked up this uh, place called Mount LeConte, and I think it's, uh, here's an image from the top. I think it's, depending on how you measure, I think it's the highest peak in, like, on the eastern part of the United States. So it was a serious hike. I think it was maybe 12 miles or 13 miles or something. It was, we were dead the next day. It was brutal for us. Uh, on our way back, though, so we, we've hiked up here, and this is a place where pe- some people live up there. You can live up there for like six months or something like that. Um, post comes via llama, I think, or alpaca. or It's like kind of a what, strange way to live, but people do it. On our way back down, uh, you're in the middle of the woods, and you're in a place where there's lots of bears, and we came across a bear. Or at least we didn't see it, thankfully, but we heard it. Massive thumping, and then it like ran off, and bushes kind of moved around and stuff. And there was this other kind of wizened old man who, I don't know, he must have been like 80, but he was killing us on the trail. This skinny guy was like, there's a bear over there. And we were like about to, uh, all sorts of things. All sorts of things were about to happen. Uh, I mean, it couldn't have been maybe like a f- more than a few meters away from us. And uh, so we heard it, r- thankfully, running away from us. Uh, and me and Christina were basically, we were experiencing fear in that moment. We're like, let's get out of here. You don't want to be around a bear. Fear tells you to run away when you interact with a bear because you don't want to get eaten. Now, if we didn't have that fear, maybe we'd be dumb enough to be curious and be like, oh, cool, a bear, and like kind of go up and maybe I can touch it, maybe I can pet it. Will it be my pet? Maybe I can feed it. Well, you might feed it, but you may not like what it eats. So we, we, if it wasn't for our fear, there's a possibility that we would have gotten eaten ourselves. See, fear can be a really, really helpful thing when you need it to work. Now, if I got a phone call tomorrow from the home office saying my visa has been revoked and we have to leave everything and go back to America, I would also have fear. My uh, biological response, my physiological response would probably be exactly the same as encountering a bear on the trail. But if I was to run away from that phone call from the home office and pretend like it didn't happen and run the opposite direction, that would be really bad. So there's one situation, fear is helpful. Another situation, fear not so helpful because it stops us from doing things that maybe we ought to do. So giving into fear uh, in that way with the visa situation is not a good thing. Sometimes fear is helpful. Sometimes it holds us back. So maybe the question that I would love for us to anonymously talk about, you don't even have to talk about it being something of yourself, is what are some things that you're afraid of? If you go to that website, you can just pop it in real quick. What are some things that you might be afraid of? RedeemerMCR.com slash ask. Bust out your phones. Yes, you're allowed to use your phones in church. It's okay. Just stop scrolling Facebook as much you know, or Instagram or whatever. Um, and just put in what, is, what are some things that you might be afraid of. And I'm going to wait as you do it and sip my coffee slowly like a Kermit the Frog meme. I don't know if you've seen that one or not. Michael knows what I'm talking about. He teaches high school kids. What are, <clears throat> what are some things that you're afraid of? Maybe as you're clicking that in. Thanks for doing that. Um, For some, it might be meeting new people. Maybe meeting a new person, especially now that we've had less of 
that experience, that might be something that's really scary. Um, and when real life comes along again, whenever that kind of looks like, um, we'll all have to relearn what it means to meet, meet new people. So the fear of new people can lead to not meeting new people, which also can lead to loneliness. Or maybe you have a fear of like kind of not having enough or not being enough or a fear of being found out to be a fraud. All sorts of, we have all sorts of different kinds of fears. I think it might be helpful for us to realize actually how all of our fears are probably quite similar when we actually talk about them. And if we can't talk about them in a church, like where are we going to talk about these things? We have to be talking about that within a church. See, the fear of, of not being enough or not having enough, that leads you to being a slave to your career or to some level of success. The fear of being alone leads us to relationships that are, that are harmful of, for us or of not bringing up something that could possibly cause conflict in those relationships. So sometimes fear is helpful, but what about when fear is not helpful, when it holds us back? Now, not every situation involves getting eaten by a bear, though our response might feel like that. It might feel like that same level of intensity. How can we correctly sort navigating those fears out? There's a quote from uh, Dan Allender and Trevor Longman. As you know, I've been quoting this book a lot in this series. It says this, uh, It all boils down not to whether we fear, because we're all going to do that, not to whether we fear, but to what we fear and whom we fear. So basically having the right kinds of fears is really helpful. A right kind of fear of a bear, very helpful. That's a very helpful thing to have. Um, a fear of something that's not helpful, you know, holds us back from living our life as we ought to. I think really, if we're honest, we're probably really all kind of slaves to fear in different parts of our lives. It makes decisions for us, fear does. Fear, fear guides our steps. It tells us where to go or tells us where to not go. It holds us back from hurt, yes, but it also holds us back from opportunities. It holds us back from growth and risk and living a full life. So how... Can we use fear helpfully, rightfully? It's not that we should never not, you know, never fear. How do we break free from our slavery to fear? I think is a real question we should be asking. And as we look at Psalm 55, we're going to learn a little bit of, of how to do that. Because David, the author here, deals with his fear before God. Um, and we'll also get to learn about how being in Jesus' family severs our slavery to fear. And without Jesus, we can never really be sure exactly how much our fear is leading us. Because default, we're not, really, we're not really sure. We're not the best kind of investigators of our own lives. But with Him working through us, through His Holy Spirit, we can experience fear, and, that, and that's fine. But we don't have to have it guide us. We don't have to be slaves to it. So we're going to walk a bit through uh, Psalm 55 here. Because David is talking about a very specific kind of fear. So we'll look at our fear. We'll look at David's first response, which is a lot like our first response to fear, which is to run away. And then we'll also look at where else we can go in our fear. Lastly, we'll end on something that may not seem to really connect. Uh, firstly, but we'll talk about adoption and what that means. Being adopted in Jesus' family, what that means for our lives, and how that actually severs our slavery to fear. So let's start first and talk about our own fear here in Psalm 55. The first three verses is really what we're looking at. This is uh, David praying to God, being very honest. He's like, listen to me, God, don't ignore me. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of people who are wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. So why is he troubled? Like, what, What's his deal? Why is he troubled? Well, others are saying stuff about him that aren't true. They're bad-mouthing him. Someone who is, is in this situation been righteous and the people who are talking about him are saying that he's not. 
And there are threats here as, as well. It's not just kind of like just mere gossip. There's gossip with like with um, teeth behind it. There's threats. It must not, it's just not kind of random gossip. It hits very close to home for David, who's the author here. And in fact, we're not going to really get to it, but in the middle of the psalm, he's saying, well, if it was like random people that were insulting me, like maybe I could deal with it. If it was my enemies that were insulting me, maybe I could deal with it. But this is someone who's close to me, and you're speaking bad about me. So this particular fear that David's talking about is fear of other people, fear of others. And we've all felt this. All of us have. You know, whether it's something people are actually saying, or whether it's something we're making up in our head because we think that's what other people are actually saying. We all have a fear of other people. And in this time of weird, limited social interaction, most of us are probably more in danger of assuming that uh, people are saying stuff or thinking things about us. And we don't really know because we don't really ever ask them or we're not really around to actually chat about it. And so then we make it kind of true in our heads because we just kind of mull over and over and over and over again. Um, but I also know there are people in our church where there are horrible accusations going on, life-altering accusations that are simply not true. And so wherever we are, whether it's imagined or real or whatever, yeah, I think it's easy for who, whoever we are, wherever we are, for us to fall into that fear of other people and have that guide us. And for David here in, in verse 4, he's talking about the experience itself. It's like an inward experience. He says, um, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Like This is not just a, it's a bad kind of feeling. This is like he's weighing him down. It's that lump in your chest that you just can't get rid of. And I know you've had that feeling. We've all had that feeling. We've all experienced that. That's a horrible feeling to have. You know, we have a, um, a good friend, Abby. She's married to Juddie, who's the church planter in uh, Nuova Vita, in, in Salerno, Italy. Uh, we knew them when they were in America uh, uh, in Gainesville and in Orlando, like years and years ago, before they were married, before we were married. Well, she has this uh, hilarious, what I think is hilarious, fear of E.T. You know E.T., the uh, extraterrestrial guy? I have some great photos of this. You can see why it might be a little bit scary. It, like, it's kind of weird looking. He has this skinny neck and a really massive head. Um, I, I mean, the film is amazing. It's a quintessential kind of 80s film. You have to see it, and Reese's pieces are amazing. Anyway. She couldn't explain why she was scared of E.T. She just was all the time. And so people would give her like E.T. toys or, you know, do things, all sorts of things like that. But she was deathly afraid of him. Uh, now, one might think it would be easy enough to avoid images of E.T. Okay, you have a weird fear of E.T. E.T. That's easy to navigate around. Just don't ever watch the film and, you know, just cut the friends out of your life. They would keep sending you these, like, cuddly toys of E.T. But if you lived in Orlando, Florida you would be assaulted by billboards like this all the time of E.T. in 3D telling you to join him at Universal Studios for his ride. Wouldn't that be really fun to hang out with E.T.? So, and this would, this would be along like major motorways. You couldn't drive around Orlando without seeing stuff like this. So try as she might, she couldn't get, she couldn't get around that fear. It kept on like popping in and, and invading her life. Now, you may not have an irrational fear of an 80s extraterrestrial or maybe you do now after looking at that image. <laughs> but I think we're all like Abby in some way, and that we all experience fear, and even if it's up to us, we, all, we can't seem to remove ourselves from it. It always seems to kind of come in in places that we don't really want. And it doesn't have to be just merely a fear of other people as well. It can be all sorts of things. Like All of us have those moments of that heart anguish, like wrenching terror that goes within us. And whether you follow Jesus or you think Jesus is the worst, I think we all have this starting point. We all experience this. So where do we go? 
What do we do with that? Well, first, we're honest with it, the way that David is. And he's honest before God and before others because he's writing this psalm out for other people to pray as well. Uh, But what David wants to do is something we all want to do. David wants to run away. Look at uh, at verse 6 and 8. David says, oh, he's doing his best Nelly Furtado impersonation. He's like a bird, wants to fly away. He says, oh, I would flee far away. Like, if if only I had the wings of a dove and I'd fly away from here. I'd go to the desert. Desert is where no one else lives. You know, I'd run away from everybody, and then I would be at rest. Or, uh, yeah, I would fly away, and then I'd be at rest. I'd stay in the desert. Remember that hike where uh, Christina and I heard that bear nearby? Now, rightly, we didn't follow that bear. Okay, that's a a smart thing to do. Uh, Our fear was a good thing, and that made us want to leave as quickly as possible. But not everything is a bear. Our body might feel like it. Not everything is like that. We all want to run away. We all want to leave. And not even at the first feeling of fear, but at the possibility of there being fear in the future. So it's not even kind of like, I'm experiencing fear now, now I want to run away. We're back here, like two or three steps away, saying, oh man, if I do that and then that, I might be scared then, so I'm not even going to do this, that might lead to this, I might need to that. I'm going to stay here instead in this kind of comfort zone, which it really ends up becoming our prison. So it's, it, we don't really even, because we're so afraid of fear itself, we don't even get into a position where we could possibly even be afraid. We don't go out of our way to meet new people. We go to the desert. When we're living in fear, we don't take risks. We're too busy fleeing. We don't say something that someone else needs to hear. We're focused on our shelter. We want to be in the desert. We want to have the wings and fly away, and which means we don't get to focus on other people's needs. Now, this affects how we speak the truths of the gospel to each other. Because if you are good friends with someone, there is a responsibility in your life to humbly and gently speak truth in love to them. Uh, sometimes I, I hear like this, that, well, we're friends and I don't want to jeopardize that, and so I don't really feel like it's my place to say something. It's like, well, what is that friendship about then? Of course it's your place to say something. Like, you are friends with someone. If you want to have a shallow relationship, don't say anything. If you want a deep relationship with somebody, you have to say something. Of course, there's a time, there's a right time, there's a wise way to go about it and all that kind of stuff. But what, is, what are our friendships for? What are our relationships for? Are we inviting Jesus into those kind of relationships that we have? And I'm not just, I'm not just talking about like fellow believers to people who also believe the same things we do and follow in the same way we do, though of course that's included. I mean, if you follow Jesus, there is a new way of living that we are not only called to live, but are empowered to live by nothing less than the Holy Spirit himself at work. I mean, have you ever wondered why the prayers and acts are always about boldness, or, always, or boldness always follows the prayers in Acts. Because as amazing as Acts is, and we spent a long time going through Acts as a church, as amazing as it is, they were afraid. They were completely afraid. And they knew they didn't have it in themselves. And so they had to pray to God through the Holy Spirit to give them the boldness that they need. We're exactly the same. We're no better than Paul or Barnabas or any other of the churches or the church plants that went on. We're in the exact same boat. We have fear. Where do we go with that? We have to go to the Lord. And we pray for boldness. Because if left to ourselves, we will stay in that fear. and We'll find some hole to live in and just let life pass us by and we call it comfort. But God calls us all to something more. God calls us to live a bold life for Him. Not through what we can work up ourselves, but for Him to work it through us. Which is a very different way to live. I think sometimes, too, we wrongly think that courage means living without fear. And if I have fear, therefore I'm like less of a Christian or something like that. That's just not true at all. It's, it's what you do with that fear. And courage is acting despite the fear that you have. 
So I'm maybe getting into the, the next point here. Like, where, where can we go? So if our first response is to flee and to run away, where else can we go when we're living in fear? Surely there's a better way to live. Well, where does David go? Let's look at verses 16 and 17. He says, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Now, part of this calling to God is talking to him about his fear. That's what it means to, to pray, to call to God. You say, well, I'm scared. God, I'm scared. That might be the length of your prayer that time when you first, God, I'm scared, help me. Like, that's a great prayer if you're really feeling that way. So he's saying, listen to my prayer, God. And he's scared. People are saying stuff about me. I want to run away. And he's not saying, he's not feeling that run away thing and so shameful he's not bringing that to God. He's telling God. He's not just kind of writing this on. He's telling God, I want to run away. I don't want to do that, but I really, like, I'm feeling that now. So we all experience fear, but we are all invited to go to the Lord about it. Not everyone's going to do that, but every person is invited to bring their fear to the Lord. See, David has a relationship with God. So when he experiences fear, when he's overwhelmed by it, he cries out to God. And that's what we do for those who have relationships with Jesus. When we go through something, we bring it to God. And if, God, if David can go to God in these big things, and he's the, he's the king of Israel. He has, you know, people who are talking bad about him. I don't know, maybe this is going to affect like policy decisions for a nation. That's pretty big. Few of us are kind of in that position. If God can deal with those big things, surely he can deal with our small little things. He can deal with it all. And this is what a child of God gets to do. They get to take those internal and kind of external feelings of fear and not hang on to them, not ball them up, try and push them down, not find a... And it's an empty space in our heart that we can compress even more of our emotions into. It's bringing it to the Lord. I mean, have you ever tried to do that, like to give away that to, to God? Uh, for David, this is an ongoing thing. In verse 17, he says, Evening, morning, and noon, I'm calling out. It's not like one prayer is going to fix us and we move on and do the next thing. He's, it's a, a continual, ongoing process. Like most of the people who follow the Lord in history, he has regular times throughout the day to pray. And you, we can do that too. But I've talked before about how I set alarms on my phone to make me stop and pray, and especially the one in the middle of the day I call the midday protest. Because if left to my own devices, I'll just do what I want to do. But I need God to break into my day and to tell me, actually, it's not about you doing stuff or you getting stuff finished or projects being done. Hopefully those things will happen, yes. But it's really about you following me in everything that you do. I need to have those things happen. And I slavishly follow alarms on my calendar, so I kind of do it that way. This is something everyone can do. You don't have to set alarms on your phone or whatever. But you can pray to the Lord every, like, three times a day or however many times it is. It's one thing to say that we can go to the Lord, though. Another thing to actually do it. That's the difficult part. It's, a lot, it's much easier for us to talk about prayer than it is for us to actually continually pray. It might require you to pray three times a day, which is actually you know, not a massive thing. It doesn't have to be huge kind of commitment it can just be a couple sentences but there's something else that's going on here in psalm 55 that uh, is kind of like on a thematic level that i really think we should get into when what david is doing here he's talking about his fears and then he's talking about uh god and bringing that to god what he's doing there is he's shifting his own talk about his own fears talking about fear of the lord and he doesn't say fear of the lord in this particular psalm but that's kind of thematically what's being worked out Remember that quote from the beginning, and it's not about having a fear and that being like a problem with us. It's about with who we fear and how we or what we fear. 
So fear of the Lord is something that is a big, massive concept in the Bible, and I just want to spend just a minute talking about this. Because if we shift our fear of everything and anything to fear of the Lord, that shifts how we live. If we can shift it to the fear of the Lord, that shifts how we live in our fear. But um, let's just camp out briefly on fear of the Lord for a moment. Like, what is it? Well, first, what it's not. It's not being afraid of God first. It's something more than that. It's not just like God is going to destroy me. It's, it's something a little bit deeper than that. It's a right understanding of who we are as as humble little creatures, frail as we are, and who God is, who's the Lord, uh, the creator of heaven and earth, even as we kind of talked about at the beginning of the service. We cry out to the creator of the heaven and earth. That's not who we are. We are small little specks of dust along a massive timeline. It's a respect for who God is, an honor that we give God. It's what it means to live with a sense of awe. So it's more than just kind of like being afraid of something. It's a sense of awe, of, of something overwhelming. If you've ever come across something in nature where you just have stopped and been like, whoa, I feel really small, and it's amazing that I get to look at that right now. Something huge like the Grand Canyon or, or whatever the thing might be is that sense of awe. I mean, if like a mountain or a crater in the, wor- in the earth can give us a sense of awe, imagine what the creator of those things must be like to encounter him. This is the Lord of heaven and earth that we get to interact with. And that's the fear of the Lord is a beginning of recapturing that awe. Awe is when we come into contact with something much bigger than us. So just here's a brief rundown of some verses of fear of the Lord. Psalm 110.10 tells us, fear of the Lord is a path to wisdom. Job 28.28 tells us that fear of the Lord helps us stay away from evil, helps us stay away from injustice. Proverbs 1.7 Fear of the Lord stops us from being fools. I'm, I don't want to be more of a fool than I already am. Let's stop that a little bit. Proverbs 14, 27. Fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. That means it's a, an ongoing thing. It continues to give. Proverbs 22, 4. Fear of the Lord gives us humility. If there's anything our time needs now is people who are actually truly humble, genuinely humble, not kind of like falsely humble and you know, humble brags and all that. Proverbs 23, 17. Fear of the Lord saves us from envying others. Have you ever envied anybody? Have you ever thought that fear of the Lord could possibly be an answer to it? Proverbs tells us that it is. Isaiah 11.2, fear of the Lord is what Jesus delights in. And we get to be invited to that as well. This is before Jesus is on the earth. This is Isaiah talking about Jesus. Acts 9.31, fear of the Lord gives peace. Fear of the Lord gives strength. Fear of the Lord holds us back from living unjust lives and gives us what we really need to step forward despite our fear. That's what we get by being in a relationship with the Lord. If we have that right kind of relationship with who, and right recognition of who the Lord really is. And when we live in fear of the Lord, we have no room to live in the fear of lesser things. That, that awe is an overwhelming thing. And over, it completely overtakes us. If we're living under the fear of the Lord, all those kind of lesser things will go where they're supposed to go, which is towards the bottom. They're lesser. Here's an example from David. Psalm 27.1. The same guy who wrote Psalm 55 wrote Psalm 27.1. says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Who shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom, of whom shall I be afraid? If the Lord is in his right spot, are all, all lesser fears are kind of where they ought to be, which is not infringing on us, not enslaving us, on us, not guiding us, not telling us where to go, not making decisions for us. And even in this verse, we don't live in fear because the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. So light, apart from having light, 
We don't know where to go. We don't know what's safe. We don't know where, you know, are we going to stumble? Are we going to fall? Is there a pit there? Are there like, is there a bear there? I don't know. The Lord lights our way and we follow the Lord. We don't need to follow or to fear the dark unknown. Also, he's our salvation. Salvation is just another word for rescue. He delivers us. He, he saves us from our own problems, our own issues. We don't rescue ourselves. We try. We're not really great at it. There's a reason why we come to the Lord. He's the one who comes through, so we lean on him. We trust in him with our whole being. We relax into him. It's not an anxious trust. It's a, it's a surrender and a relaxing of letting him carry us on, in our lives. And stronghold is just another way of saying protection a place of refuge, a place of strength. We don't seek refuge in our career. We don't seek refuge in our money. We don't seek refuge in our families. We don't seek refuge in our friends. We don't seek refuge in being part of a church. We seek refuge in the Lord. And when we forget Him, we come back to Him and say sorry. Now it might be that God has given you a difficult situation so that you can see His light, His salvation, His stronghold in a bit of a different way than you did before. I know when I've gone through difficult times, the way the Lord comes through kind of gives me a new way of seeing Him in a way that it's just different when you're in times of comfort. I wonder, have we forgotten Him in some places of our lives? Does a paycheck do the job that really God, only God can? It's like, oh, as long as I get that paycheck, I'm fine. I don't really need to trust God very much. I mean, maybe small things. Do our plans that we have really replace the need for God? Well, hopefully all of our plans you know, we realize our plans are one thing and they kind of get chucked up in the air because of a virus. Are the disruptions in our life opportunities to get closer to God? Evening, morning, and noon, the way that David talks about it. Or have we let the disruptions in our life kind of get us a bit adrift? If you're being honest with yourself, kind of where do you find yourself even now as you're hearing these things? Do you feel like, the difficulties in your life have brought you closer to God or have they kind of had you drift a little bit? Now, how is any of this possible? How can we actually do this? Is it just a matter of we should just try harder to have a lot more faith and then we'll make it through? Try harder to not fear. Like, how, like, how, how does David do this? How do we do How do we actually really live this out? Well, if you'd like to make that shift from your own fears to fear the Lord or continue in making that shift and living out what it means to be under the fear of the Lord, how can we do this? Now, one thing that we need to know about David and about the Christian life is David knows that he's a child of God. David knows he's a child of God. There's no kind of no, even when he does stupid things in his life, he's did a lot of dumb, dumb, stupid things in his life. He always saw himself as a child of God. And all who follow the Lord have been adopted into God's family. Only a child can go to the king, the, an, aw, an awesome king with their needs, however big or small they might be. Only a child knows that king also has a father. And that's why we are his sons and daughters. That's why he uses that terminology. We're his sons, we're his daughters. Because through Jesus' death and resurrection, we get to be adopted into his family. And that has certain benefits. Being a child of the king is really good news for those of us who have fear. And that's probably all of us. It's great news for us. Uh, Romans 8, 14 through 15 says this. For those, you know, it's on the screen there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, that's, and the way you do that is you follow Jesus. The Spirit comes and takes residence inside you. 
You are the children of God. It's not like you're like the children of God or you kind of could be that if eventually you get your act together, you can be a child of God. It says you are. Your complete identity shift. This is who you are. The spirit you receive, the one that lives inside you, does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. It's not like we're afraid that God's going to get at us because you just can't wait to like punish us. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You've elevated, you were like slaves. Now you're adopted as sons, and not just kind of sons generally, sons of the king. You're like elevated to royalty. And by him, by the spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is, is like a like a dada kind of word. It's like a made-up word that only a small child, like baby, before they even talk. It's like a, a, I'd surrender with you even like beyond kind of my intellectual ability. See, our adoption severs our slavery to fear. If this is true, if we believe that, our adoption severs our slavery to fear. Those who have the Spirit, which is anyone who follows Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, you're led by Him, so you follow God's ways. We are children of God. When you didn't have the Spirit, that's not who you were. You didn't have, you, you weren't a child of God. Now you do, so that's who you are. We have been adopted into God's family, united to Jesus in such a way that he becomes, as he says, like our older brother. How could Jesus be our brother? Like he's also like a king. It's mind-boggling. Now this is different than signing up to a set of rules. This is different than living by Christian values. This is different than thinking through a certain worldview. This is much bigger than that. It's more transformational than that. Adoption into a new family, you get adopted into the Trinity itself. What does that mean? I don't really even know. All I know is a really good thing. And the little amount that I do know, it transforms my life. And I know it transforms your lives as well. Now this doesn't say that we won't have fear. We will have fear. But it does say we won't have to be slaves to fear. We're not slaves anymore. We've been given freedom. So before being adopted, we were slaves to fear. It guided us and led us all over the place. And we couldn't help that. Instead of the Holy Spirit leading us, fear was. And our fear made our decisions for us. No longer. That's not who we are. We're children of God. And now we have a close, intimate relationship with the Father. That means living out of a fear of anything and everything to fear the Lord isn't first something that we do. We don't try try really hard first something that we do. It's something that God has already done for us. God has already done it for us. What we do is respond in our lives out of who he has made us to already be. How can someone make their own adoption happen? You can't. Like the parent adopts a child. The parent has adopted us. And now we are to live as the adopted sons and daughters that we are. And adoption severs our slavery to fear. Now maybe the biggest fear that we should have is fear of God set against us because we were set against Him. Now maybe you say, ah, oh, but I'm not really kind of set against Him. I just don't really follow Him or I'm not really interested in Him. Well, who are you following? Following anything else other than God Himself is cosmic treason. God has set this world up in such a way for us to encounter Him in it in all sorts of different ways. And when we replace him, who we're supposed to be in awe of, when we replace him with something else, even if it looks really good on the outside, it can be something great. We're living in treason. God is patient, but he is also just. And the price of treason is death. 
Do we think that God would just kind of overlook our injustices and all the horrible things we've done and hopefully skip on to the next person? That, we wouldn't describe that as just. We don't like that, when, especially when someone wrongs us. We don't want anyone to overlook the wrong they've done against us. When we see wrong happening in the world, we want, don't want people to overlook the wrong that's going on there. We want wrong things to be made right. We want people who deserve punishment to get the punishment they deserve. This reality of being under a God that we don't follow is a fear worth buckling under, and yet we don't have to be bound by that fear. That's not where we have to be. Because this is why Jesus came to die. His death severed our slavery to fear. Now, we, we're still going to have those feelings, of course. We've talked about that. It's not like fear just goes away and we never feared again. But we don't have to let it lead our lives. We can live in a different way. And Jesus' resurrection does more for us because we get a new life. This is living out of fear of the Lord. It's fear of punishment taken over by the awe that comes from being in God's family. That's fear of the Lord. Now, we can be free only when our fear is replaced with our fear of the Lord. And if you follow him, however much you are stumbling towards faith, as we all are, his penalty against your treason, his penalty against your injustices, completely removed. You are not under them anymore. They've been put to death six feet under. They're done. We don't need to try and dig them out and try and resurrect those things. They're done. They're put to death, never to be seen again. He already poured it out. And the power of fear in your life now is rendered powerless by the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, in the present. He leads you as a child of God because that's who you are. I mean, if you know someone has your back, you act in a way that's different. You live differently. If you've got like a posse behind you, you know, your friends are back there, you're going to say stuff you wouldn't have normally. Sometimes that's maybe not necessarily good. Think of God having your back. How would you live? Because he does. He has your back. Are we living differently because of that? Now, let me tell you, when people get that, that really catches on. That's something different than, you know, a nice way to live or, you know, something that's like makes your life 1% better or something. This is how renewal movements start within the church. This is how it over, overflows into neighborhoods and cities and churches get planted. More than just one church, but multiple churches get planted. This is how Christianity ceases to be merely intellectually interesting, which of course I think it is, but something more than that, it becomes life transforming. This is how being a member of a church becomes something more than showing up. It becomes you being part of a movement that cannot be stopped because God is behind it. And when Christians realize that Jesus has freed us from our fears, when it gets from our heads down into our hearts and works it out in what we do with our hands, we become a force for good in this world spiritually and practically. Because other people who aren't believers yet see living faith worked out in this kind of radical and attractive way. What before was, you do you, I do me, very kind of you know tolerant, patient, that's fine, becomes, huh, the way you're doing you is a lot better than the way I'm doing me. Like, what's the deal with that? When people start asking those kind of questions, that changes things. It's no longer held back by our fear. We get to be free to be radically generous to give money away that we wouldn't normally do, to give our time away that we wouldn't normally do, to use our gifts in ways that we wouldn't wouldn't have expected before. No longer held back by our fear, we are free to be radically honest as we talk about our lives with a lightness of who we are and a gravity of who God is. No longer held back by our fear, we're free to take risks, to hope for big things, to pray for big things, and to work towards them. 
No longer held back by our fear. We don't have to be held by how others think about us or what they're going to say about us or what we think they're thinking or saying about us. I mean, how much of our lives are we actually living? Because I want to get on more of that. I want to be more like that. I'm not there yet. I know it's a process. And we're all going to be in different parts of that process. But we're all going to be working towards that together. But I want to get more of that. See, fear is a God that always asks us to sacrifice for it and still leaves us in chains, never really giving us what we want. Working for fear never works for our good. But Jesus, he gave us all. He didn't ask us to sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for us. And he doesn't ask us to pay him back, as if we could. He gave us his all so that we could live our lives how we were meant to, in that awe-filled, fear-of-the-Lord kind of way. See, he knows our fears, he hears our prayers, he sent his spirit, and now we're freed from our slavery, freed from running away, free to be humans, fully alive. The punishment that we deserve for all the evil that we bring into this world, all the wrongs we do, the past, the future, the ones we're doing now, the punishment for that is death, but Jesus paid that death so that we don't have to. And we're called to remember how he went to great lengths for us. We're about to um, celebrate communion So for you at home, you can get something ready to celebrate with us. Uh, We do this every week at Redeemer because we're so forgetful. And not just like us in this room. Humans in general are so forgetful. We we forget how much we really don't have it because we think we do. We're prone to forget it. Or at least we're prone to live as if it's not true. So taking the bread and the cup are for those who've been freed by the Spirit. It's basically, it's saying, for those who eat and drink, it's saying, I surrender myself to the King. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we're really glad you're here with us, or you're glad, we're glad that you're listening with us as well, or watching us, but please don't do something with your body that you don't really fully believe yet in your heart. You don't have to join us. It's not like we're not forcing you to do this. But let's say maybe you haven't done this before. Maybe you're watching, maybe you're here, you haven't done this before, and now you want to take your first step with Jesus. You are invited. Everybody, regardless of where you've come from, everybody is more than welcome to be part of Jesus' family. So please join in with us. And let me pray before we do this.